Okay, how many of you, so how many of you have played the game Clue? You've played the game Clue. Good, okay. How many of you figured out how to figure out what the other person's learning when they're asking questions? Because remember, because it's a race, right? It's a race to find out who did what, who did it, with what, in which room. And so you have to, you have to actually begin to learn to figure that out, uh, not just getting your own clues, but figuring out what other people are finding out as well. How many of you, hands raised high and proud, have ever won when you played Clue? One, you won without cheating. Hands down if you cheated. All right, okay, I was just curious. All right, listen, we like the challenge of mysteries. Mysteries are great. Uh, if this is your first Sunday here, my name is Mike. I'm the lead pastor here at MCC. Really glad you joined us. We actually have a gift for you uh, up front here. Uh, we'd love to, to give you just as a way of saying thanks for being with us uh, this morning. And it's my hope, it's our, the hope of our leadership that MCC can be the kind of place where you grow in your faith and you're able to serve and make a difference for the sake of the kingdom of God in our culture. And if you're watching us online, uh, thanks for joining us there. One of the things that we know is that before people will visit us in person, many times they'll watch us online to kind of get a feel for who we are. So if that's you, thank you for uh, watching. And I hope you'll join us here in the big room at some time, uh, sometime soon even. And we know, here's something else that we know because we've been told, and I don't know if I've told you this before or not, we have soldiers who are overseas serving right now, our country, uh, who worship with us every week. They stop at some point during the week and watch uh, and listen to the message. So first of all, thank you for your service to our country. If you're watching this, thank you so much Yeah, for that. And... To be sure, our hope is that this is, you encourage us just by knowing that you do that, and we hope to encourage you uh, by gathering in God's name, and, and so thank you for being part of that. Listen, uh, two weeks ago, we began a series on the New Testament book of Colossians, so if you have your Bible with you uh, or your device, if you would go to the book of Colossians, if you have the Bible app, uh, you can not only find the book of Colossians, you can find our notes there for this morning. We also have a handout. I hope you've got that. If you want to go ahead and pull that out. What we call the book of Colossians, just to get us all back in step uh, together, and if you've missed the other two weeks, uh, Colossians is actually a letter. We call it a book. It's actually a letter written by the Apostle Paul to the church in a city called Colossae. Paul is in prison in Rome when he writes this letter. And we know that Paul started many churches, but this is not one of them. As a matter of fact, he's never met the people that he's writing to. But his friend uh, Epaphras started this one and has brought Paul some troubling news about the church. There are false teachers who have made their way into the church, and they are beginning to teach that Jesus is not enough, that there is a secret knowledge that is available to some, not all. And this secret knowledge is actually, Jesus and this secret knowledge are actually what gets you saved. So uh, Adam started our series a couple of weeks ago by reminding them of how effective the gospel had been already in their lives. And as we know, in our lives, right, uh, or, or can be, if you haven't trusted Jesus yet with your life, it can be effective in your life. Last week, we talked about who Jesus is. And I just want to say, if you missed either of those messages, I want to encourage you to go to our website and to listen to them. I, I was asking about mysteries earlier on because the gospel is sometimes referred to 
in the Bible as a mystery. Now, I want to be real clear about this. I'm not talking about a secret knowledge that's only available to a few people. But I'm talking about it's a mystery. It's difficult to understand, uh, but anyone can grasp it. As a matter of fact, look at Colossians chapter 1, verse 26. Paul writes, the mystery that has been kept hidden for ages and generations, but is now disclosed to the Lord's people. So one of the mysteries, for example, is the atoning death of Jesus on the cross. It was a mystery for many, right? And maybe not for us on this side of the cross, but for many because the Old Testament prophets had predicted that the Messiah would reign on the, the throne of, the king, of King David forever. He would always reign on the throne. But they also wrote that he would be led like a lamb to the slaughter. Reign forever, lamb to the slaughter. No one, not even the angels, could figure out God's mystery. Only after the crucifixion and the resurrection did the pieces of that puzzle begin to fit together in a way that people were able to grasp. So in verse 27, it says that there's another sacred mystery that has been disclosed, and that's the one we're going to be looking at today. And it all revolves around this question, so I want you to think about this. Where is Jesus right now? Don't answer it out loud, but I want you to think about that. Where is Jesus right now? At this very moment, where is he? And I'm going to give you the mystery right up front. You ready? Because I don't want you to be thinking through this. I'm going to explain this here. So write this down. It's on your notes. Jesus lives in me. If you want to know where he is, he lives in you. Look at verse 27. To them, right? Verse 26 tells us that them is the Lord's people. To them, to the Lord's people, God has chosen to make known among the Gentiles the glorious riches of his mystery, which is Christ in you. The hope of glory. Here's the mystery. Jesus is in you, the hope of glory. Now, most of us, again, don't raise your hands, don't say anything, but most of us, when we think about it, if I were to say, where is Jesus right now? The first answer some of us would have come up with would have been, well, he's in heaven, right? Because the book of Acts tells us that he was seated. He is seated at the right hand of the throne uh, of God. But this passage also teaches us that Jesus lives in the hearts of those who receive him, right? Christ in you, the hope of glory. One of the great promises in the Bible is that Jesus comes to live within us, that he's not just some historical figure uh, in the past who lives in the past. He's not merely residing in some far off place and out of touch. He comes to live within us and to empower us and to strengthen us. And by the way, just to be, I want to make, no other religious leader makes that claim. There is no other religious leader throughout history who has made that claim. Jesus comes to live in the hearts of those who believe in him. And while this is a mystery, we say that we believe this. Just like, here's another mystery, we believe in the Trinity, which this word never shows up in Scripture, but the concept does that God is Father, and God is also Son, and God is the Holy Spirit. One God, three parts to who he is. And that's hard. To, listen, if you're hearing this for the first time, you may be thinking to yourself, what? Because uh, it may not make you know, sense to you. And I don't, I, I don't know how that is. I don't understand how this works. But what I do know is that in Hebrews 11, we are told that our faith is that we have confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. And we can't see this. And quite frankly, it's out of our realm of experience. 
It is, the, it is part of God that we, listen, it's our human minds just may not be able to grasp. And that's okay because faith at times goes beyond what we can see and what we can understand. Isn't that correct? Sometimes faith goes there. It's part of the mystery. Here's another. The night before Jesus was crucified, he told his followers, if you love me, keep my commands. And I will ask the Father and he will give you another advocate to help you and be with you forever, the Spirit of truth. Who is the Spirit of truth? We call him Holy Spirit, right? The world cannot accept him because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him for he lives with you and he will be in you. So who comes to live in you? According to Jesus, who comes to live in you? The Holy Spirit comes to live in you. But look at what Jesus says next. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Before long, the world will not see me anymore, but you will see me because I live. You also will live. Look at this. On that day, you will realize that I am in my Father, and you are in me. Let's read this last part together, and let's read it together. I am in you. If you've committed yourself to Jesus, if you've given your life to him, God makes promises to you. Forgiveness of sins. Eternal life in his kingdom. And in some way, he comes to take residence in our life and help us here in this world, in this lifetime, to be faithful to him. And I don't know if that, if you're here for the first time or you're just checking out faith and you just, you came in here trying to get some answers, I don't know if that freaks you out or not. But I will tell you this, and maybe we can agree on this, following Jesus is not always easy. Would you say that's true? There are times when it is difficult to do what God has called us to do. He knows that. So he lives inside of you to help you with that. The mystery is that somehow Jesus lives in us. And it's a mystery. And Paul tells us, here's the thing that's important. Paul tells us why that matters. There's a mystery that can only be understood by those who experience it. But Paul mentions four advantages that we have because Jesus lives in us. So these are on your notes. If you're taking notes, I want to make sure you get these. Here's the first one. Because Jesus lives in me, he enables me to endure inordinate suffering. Inordinate suffering. It's verse 24. Paul says, now I rejoice in what I am suffering for you. Now, Paul's talking about his own suffering, okay? He says, and I fill up in my flesh what is still lacking in regards to Christ's afflictions. And I want to be real clear. Paul is not saying here that in some way Jesus' suffering was inadequate. He's not saying that. And he's also not saying that there is some sort of predetermined amount of suffering that all of us must pay. Paul is saying, here is what he's saying. Paul is saying, if you take the good news of Jesus to the world, you will suffer. If you're a carrier of the gospel, you will suffer. When Paul was called to follow Jesus in the book of Acts, we read about his conversion. Jesus sends Ananias to speak to Paul. And he said to Ananias, as he's sending him out to go to Paul, go, this man is my chosen instrument to proclaim my name to the Gentiles and their kings and to the peoples of Israel. Look at what he says about Paul. When I send him out, I will show him how much, what? He must suffer for my name. 
The apostle Paul suffered a great deal to present the word of God to people. As a matter of fact, in 2 Corinthians 11, so it's, this, it's a letter he wrote to the church in Corinth. Paul begins to tell about what he's, what he's been through. He's been imprisoned many times. He's been beaten eight times. He's been stoned and left for dead. He was shipwrecked three times. He says, I've traveled through hazardous territory. I've gone without sleep and food. I've been cold and without sufficient clothing. I've been hated by my enemies and deserted by my friends. That's what Paul went through. Jesus said this to his followers, blessed are you when people hate you, when they exclude you and insult you and reject your name as evil because of me. You are blessed when you are treated this way because you're a follower of mine. If you think, if you came this morning and you thought that following Jesus would make you popular, you may have misunderstood what happened to him. Following Jesus doesn't end in a parade. It ends in a cross. But Jesus can empower you to endure suffering. Sometimes we look at the painful experiences of other people and we say, I just don't, I don't know if I could do that. On September 11th, just a couple of weeks ago in India, three Christian pastors were severely injured following a vicious attack by Hindu radicals. There were 25 uh, who had gone on a retreat, a spiritual retreat, and a mob attacked the hall where they were spending this two-day retreat. One of the pastors who was injured in the attacks said all of this happened in the presence of the police. The police did not come to our rescue. Rather, they joined the mob in accusing us of doing forcible conversions. One of the pastor's wives said, my husband received multiple fractures to the nose and a clot in the eye. They want to kill my husband because he is a pastor and preached about Jesus. Now, if you think that's an isolated story, approximately 215 million Christians now experience high, very high, or extreme persecution because of their faith. That means one in 12 Christians live where Christianity is illegal, forbidden, or punished. One out of 12. And I don't know if when you've heard a story like that, if you ever thought to yourself, and maybe even this morning you're thinking to yourself, if that happened to me, I, I'm afraid I would just cave. I don't, I don't know that I could, I don't, I don't know that I could hold on to my faith through that. Or, or if I got cancer and I had the kind of operation that she had, I just, I just don't think that I, or if my, if my child died, I don't, I don't think I could, I don't know that I, if my spouse did that to me, I'm just afraid that I would, I don't, but you don't know, you don't know what you can endure until the time comes because Jesus will be in you, the hope of glory. Verse 29, Paul says, to this end, I strenuously contend with all the energy Christ so powerfully works in me. When that time comes, you will have more strength than you thought you could have. How many times have you heard someone say, you know, I didn't think I'd be able to get through something like that. But when it came, God gave me strength. And when that happens, not only will you appreciate the sufferings of Jesus more, you will have more confidence that he is empowering you in this life. I want to share one more thought along this line. It's Jesus' last words to his followers. Right before he 
ascends back into heaven. So the last words he speaks to his followers during his earthly ministry, and so at the very end, he says all of these things to them. The very last thing he says to them, surely I'm with you always. To the very, I, to the very end of the age. I'll never, you're never alone. You, you, you won't ever. Uh, he never promised bad things wouldn't happen. As a matter of fact, he promised bad things would happen. What he said was, you'll never be alone. I will always be with you. Here's the second. Jesus living in me, if you're taking notes, enables me to share my faith with boldness. Because he lives inside of me, I can share what I believe, and I can have confidence, and I can do it with boldness. Verse 28, he is the one we proclaim, admonishing and teaching everyone with all wisdom so that we may present everyone fully mature to Christ. To this end, I strenuously contend with all the energy Christ so powerfully works in me. Because Jesus lives inside of you, 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 you have the power to share your faith. And I wonder if blood pressures just went up around the room because most of us are afraid to do that because we're afraid people will think we're obnoxious or some sort of Jesus freak or they'll ridicule us or worse, they'll ask us a question about the Bible that we don't know the answer to and we'll look like an idiot, right? So we just kind of tiptoe around spiritual issues hoping that the right opportunity presents itself so instead of sharing our faith, we can just invite them to church with us. We don't share our faith. We just invite them to a thing, which I'm not saying is a bad thing. It's just not enough of a thing. Now, we have to be careful that we're not so obnoxious that we turn people off. But most of us go to the opposite extreme, and we never bring, we never bring the subject up, and we never give the Holy Spirit this chance to be powerful through us into the lives of other people. But I tell you, if you, de if you determine you're going to share your faith, you'll discover one of two things. One of these two things will happen if you determine to share your faith. One, God will give you the right words to say, and you don't even know where they came. You were just able to say the right thing. Or God will use your awkwardness to soften the heart of the unbeliever because they will feel so badly for you because you're so inept. <laughs> It'll soften their heart to listen to what you have to say if it's causing you that much angst to do it. But we've got to be willing to speak up and give the Holy Spirit a chance to work through us. Peter would write this letter at the end of the New Testament. Peter says, but in your hearts, revere Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to anyone, everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. God living in you will help you do this. I know it's scary. He will help you do this. Here's the next one. Jesus living in me enables me to discern between truth and error, right and wrong, good and bad. Colossians 2, verses 2 and 3. My goal is that they may be encouraged in heart and united in love so that they may have the full riches of complete understanding in order that they may know the mystery of God, namely Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. So Paul is writing that he wants them to come to all wisdom and knowledge. Do you know why? So they won't be deceived by the false teachers. So their faith will be strong. In John 14, 6, Jesus says this to his followers. He says, I am the way and the truth and the life. I am the truth. Paul understood false teaching. In the first century, uh, there were false teachers that were called Gnostics, and they suggested that all physical matter was evil. Therefore, Jesus couldn't possibly have 
uh, come in the flesh because that would have made him material and physical, which would have made him evil. So he must have been a phantom or a spirit, so he couldn't possibly have been crucified physically on the cross, which, by the way, is at the center of our faith. There was also in the first century uh, people called Judaizers who taught that a person first had to become a ceremonial Jew and follow the Old Testament legal requirements before they could ever become a Christian. Paul constantly fought against false teaching that said it's Jesus and something else, or it's not Jesus at all. And we still today are bombarded with messages like humans evolved from apes. All religions are equal and lead to to God. Sex outside of marriage is just normal. Same-sex marriage is an equal and alternative lifestyle. Abortion is a choice. Animal rights are as important as human rights. The government is the answer to all the world's problems. And on and on it goes. And rather than listening to every idea or opinion that comes along, look at what Jesus said about the Holy Spirit in John chapter 16. But when he, Spirit of truth, the Holy Spirit comes, he will guide you into all the truth. Jesus living in us instructs us and helps us understand truth. As a matter of fact, at the end of the New, or the New Testament, in the book of James, uh, James 1.5, James says that if we ask God for wisdom, he will gladly give it to us. He does that through the Holy Spirit who lives in us. Now, I, listen, he, you have to seek God's truth, right? Through his word. The spirit doesn't just come and dump wisdom in your lap if you're unwilling to pursue it. We need to read and reflect on what we're reading in God's word, and we need to seek its wisdom and surrender to its commands. And God's wisdom will grow in us. One more. You ready? On your notes, Jesus living in me empowers me to be faithful through the routine. Through the routine. It's Colossians 2.5. For though I'm absent from you in the body, I'm present with you in spirit and delight to see how disciplined you are and how firm your faith in Christ is. So let me ask, how firm is your faith in Christ? Because it's going to be challenged. It'll be challenged by suffering. Why do good things happen to, or why do bad things happen to good people? It'll be, it'll be challenged by temptation. It's going to be challenged by disappointment. It's interesting, Pastor Bob Russell, when he uh, wrote about this, he said the primary challenge to the faithfulness of Christians is the routine. Just the daily grind of living. I wonder how many of, his, of us have heard a Christian say, my Christian life is just kind of stale. I used to feel close to God, but I'm just going through the motions now. And listen, we all need to find ways to revitalize our faith. But to be honest, the Christian faith is not one continuous high, right? Listen, marriage is not one big honeymoon, right? Anyone who's been married more than like a month knows that it's not one big honeymoon. It's not all about feelings. Marriage isn't about feelings. Marriage is about faithfulness. And the Christian life isn't one big mountaintop experience. There are going to be times when you feel great about your faith. Maybe when you first came to know Christ, something was going on. Maybe you went to a conference and you heard something that you've never heard in a way that you've never heard it. Maybe you went on a mission trip. And if you do, I guarantee you will experience something that you've not experienced here at home in a way that you can't experience it here at home. 
and you came back from that and you were just buzzing. But for the most part, the Christian life is lived out in the daily routine. Can your faith be firm in the sameness of every day? Do you know how I know if Jesus is living in someone? It's not if they speak in tongues. It's not if they raise their hands and close their eyes when I preach, although that's a pretty good tip-off. You can tell Jesus is living in someone if year in and year out they're faithful and obedient what God has asked them to do in good times and in bad. Not perfect, not sinless, not talking about that, but they are faithful. And when they fall, they ask for forgiveness, they confess what they've done, they ask for the forgiveness, and they get back up and they go. You go to work every day and give your best effort, although quite frankly, I mean, after a while, doesn't it just get to be a little, I mean, it's the same thing every day, right? I mean, something may happen every once, but it's pretty much the same thing. Listen, you change the diapers, you do the laundry, you pick up the toys and read the Bible story to the kids before bedtime every night, and it, it's not that thrilling, right, to change one more diaper. It's not a thrill to change one more diaper. You kiss your spouse goodbye. Treat them with kindness, even though your heart doesn't go pitter-pat every time they walk into the room. And you get up every morning early to read the Bible and pray, even though it doesn't send chills up your spine every time you do it. You come to worship every week. And listen, we shoot to create an environment that helps and is engaging but it may not bring tears to your eyes every week. It's this routine of life that can be the greatest challenge to our faith. And in just a moment, I'm going to pray. And as a way of recommitting ourselves to God through what we're looking at here today, we're going to take communion together. But before we do that, if you've come today and you're already a follower of Jesus, your next step in your walk with him may have something to do with suffering. Because maybe, maybe you are going through something right now that is unfair, and it is killing you. It's, it's killing you. Or a friend is going through something, and it is destroying you that they're going, or your child is going through something, and there's someone is suffering. It's you or someone you care a great deal about, and suffering is involved, and you just don't know if you can bear it. Jesus lives in you for this reason. He lives in you. Maybe you've come today and it's not about suffering. Maybe it's, maybe you've got a family member, you've got a friend, someone you love, you care a great deal with. Man, you love being with them, but you know Jesus and they don't. And if they die without making a decision about him being Lord of their life, you know you will spend eternity with God and they will spend eternity away from him. And it's killing you. The thought of being separated from them is destroying you. And you just don't know if you've got it to talk to them. It just freaks you out, scares you to death to think about having that conversation. Jesus lives in you for that conversation. It's why he's there for that 
conversation with the person you can't stand to spend eternity apart from. He's there. Maybe for you it has something to do with something's going on in your life and you can't determine is this the right or the wrong thing to do? Is this, I mean, is this a sinful thing? Is this not? I just, I'm not real clear on it. It's why we ask you to read and reflect, think through what God is saying about how to live life and trust him with that. If you're trying to figure it out, your father wants to help you. That's why Jesus lives in you. Maybe you are battling the discipline of living your life in the everydayness of every day. Sometimes you get up in the morning and you think, do I really have to go through this all over again just to come to the end of the day and do it all over again? And I'm telling you, Jesus is inside of you. He is inside of you to get, not just to get you through, but to give you the strength to even see beyond the everydayness to what he's doing around you. That's why we've made your next step at the bottom of your handout, especially if you're struggling with one of those four things that Paul talks about. If you look at the end of your, at the bottom of your handout, we're encouraging you this week to read the verses that we talked about today. Colossians 1, 24 to chapter 2, verse 25. Read it four times every day. I can't remember how many verses that is, but it's not 20. It's, I think it's nine or 10. You read it the first time to familiarize yourself with what God is saying. Read it a second time immediately. And notice there's going to be a word or a phrase or a verse or an idea that just jumps out at you. The third time, would you pray those words to God? And the fourth time you read it, same day, you're reading it the fourth time. So if it's like nine or 10 verses, you're reading 36 to 40 verses for the day. Ask God to show you the last time you read it how he wants you to live based on that passage. Is there something he wants you to start doing, stop doing, or continue doing? If you want to know how to be wise about decisions that you make, you look at what God is saying, you put it into practice in your life, and it will begin to open up for you. If you want to know how to know the difference between right and wrong, if you want to know how to have the the ability to share your faith, if you want to know how to deal with suffering, You cozy up to God's word and don't just read it. Do it. Do what it says. And if you're doing that, can I encourage you to keep track of what's changing? Because this will tell you how Jesus living in you is making a difference. So write it down in your Bible Write it down in your prayer journal. Write it in lipstick on the mirror. Write it in indelible ink on the wall. Wherever you're putting it, the date and what you're looking at. Because I'm telling you, probably not in a week, but maybe. Probably not in a month, but maybe. For me, it's usually a year or years later. I'm looking back in my journal, my prayer journal, about some things that I've prayed about. And I'd totally forgotten I was praying about them, and God answered them. I mean, once he answered it, I stopped praying, and, so, and I forgot I'd been, and, but it was years. It wasn't immediately, it was years to watch how Jesus is changing me because he lives in me. And if you've come here today, but you've never given your life to him, I want to invite you to do that. 
this thing that we're about to do, our time of communion takes us back to the cross where Jesus gave his life for our sins. We had a sin debt we could not pay. Jesus paid it for us. And our baptism is a response to this. That's why Peter would say in Acts chapter 2 when he's being addressed by a crowd of people and they say, what do we need to do? And Peter said, repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus for the forgiveness of your sins. And guess who comes home with you? The Holy Spirit takes up residence in your life. If you've never done that, and I would love to help you make that decision. So this morning, I'm going to be right down here on the front row. When this is all said and done, I'll be right down here. Last week, I got to talk to two young men who are in the process of making this decision. I'll be right there. Please come see me before you leave today. And so now we, as followers of Jesus, we're about to take communion. Because what we're saying back to God is, what you have done for me, I believe it. I need it, and I will live my life for you because you died for me. Let's go to him in prayer. God, thank you for your word. Thank you for Jesus. Jesus, thank you for coming and taking our place because we had something that was against us that we couldn't do anything about, and you could and you did, so thank you. And as we hold these emblems that remind us of your body that was broken and your blood that was shed on the cross for our sins, our sins, not yours, ours, that God, not only would we remember and be grateful, but we would commit ourselves to the next move, the next step that we need to make so that our faith will continue to grow and our walk with you will be stronger Thank you. Thank you for the mystery of living inside of us. We pray that you will be honored by our remembering now. In Jesus' name, amen.